Amen. Well, thank you, worship team, and thank you for being here this morning. And if you have a Bible with you, open up to Exodus chapter 15. And if you don't, that's all right. You can look on the screens. Uh, we'll have the scriptures on the screens for you as well. But Exodus chapter 15 is where we're going to be this morning. So let me pray uh, for us. Ask Jesus to bless his word and let us receive it, uh, and then we'll dig in. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we have the book of Exodus to look at today. We thank you for this series as we've been going through and reading just amazing story after story about your grace, about your goodness, about who you are more than anything, Lord. But in light of your goodness and your holiness, God, we see our own sin. And so, Jesus, I pray that today, as we see your greatness and we do see our sinfulness, that, Lord, you will show us that, Jesus, it's your righteousness truly substituted in our place, given to us as a gift. Lord, it's your righteousness that matters. So by faith, by repentance and faith in you, Lord Jesus, is salvation. So, Lord, show us that truth even in this ancient story, this ancient historical account of your people leaving Egypt. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, I had this realization that... So I'm preaching today on complaining, and then I realized after I walked off the stage that I, before you, complained about the QR code in restaurants during COVID. So it's just funny how things like that work, isn't it? So your pastor's not a perfect person, just FYI. Um, but here's the thing. Some things are worth complaining about to an extent. I mean, you know, the QR code with the menu, it's tricky. If your phone doesn't pull it up, it's like, I don't know what this restaurant has to eat. All right, we are complainers by nature. You know, we are. And I mean, just think when you, speaking of restaurants, when you go to a restaurant and they're like, well, it's going to be a 15 minute wait. I mean, we lose our minds. You know what I mean? It's like, what, 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 where are we? I mean, what kind of country is this? You know, let's call the police. Let's call the government. What is this? You know, like we immediately just can't handle any kind of delay. We complain. We are so quick as humans to complain about our circumstances, no matter what they are, Right. Maybe your kids, uh, either after trunk or treat or after trick-or-treating tomorrow night for Halloween, right? They're going to have all that candy, but wait and see, all right? There's going to be some complaining. I mean, kids, you have 15 pounds of candy. Like, what are you complaining about? Yeah, but I don't have enough of the, you know, Tootsie Rolls, right? They're going to just, it's going to be something, right? And you can see from the early age to adults, all of us, we're so quick to complain but let's be honest. What does complaining really do? Does complaining ever change your circumstance? I mean, maybe if you call customer service enough times. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> hey, DirecTV, you've got to start raising my bill, seriously. There's no heads up here, right? If you complain enough, perhaps situations will change a little bit. But does complaining really help? Typically, no. Nothing positive comes from complaining. Lots of negative things come from it. We joke about complaining. But the truth is, you know, we really should take complaining more seriously. Because ultimately, now think about this. Ultimately, complaining says, hey God, I, uh, I kind of disagree with you. I, I kind of disagree with the way you've got things going right now in my life. I disagree with this direction that you've taken me, whether it be something short-term or long-term. When we start voicing complaints, 
to ourselves internally or to someone else. Essentially, if you really believe that God is sovereign and that God is in control of all things, essentially, when you complain, it's a way of saying, Lord, I don't think I agree with you and how you're handling the world. Normally, we would read through a whole story and then make a few points at the end, but, but the way we're going to walk through this passage today, I'm going to make points as we go through it because it's just three perfect episodes, three perfect examples of how the Israelites are complaining, disagreeing ultimately with God himself about their circumstances, and it's ridiculous. So last week we saw God do something so amazing. We saw God defeat once and for all Pharaoh and his army, right? They drowned in the Red Sea as God brought final judgment over them so that his people could go free. So now Israel is completely free. They're moving on. But God still has much to teach this new people, this new identity of people under God's leadership now in this newfound freedom. God has so much to teach them about himself, about who they are, and about what it looks like to live for him as they move forward. So Exodus 15 verse 22 is where we're picking up. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled. The people grumbled against Moses saying, what shall we drink? So God's people, think about this. Let's stop right there. God's people have just experienced and celebrated the greatest victory of their history. A whole Egyptian army, the mightiest empire in the world, the world's leader and his army are chasing them towards an, a sea, an ocean, right? What are they going to do? God parts the waters. He leads them right through. And then he brings the waters back and drowns the army, the enemy. He defeats the enemy once and for all, and his people come out unscathed. And so they sing. They sing and they dance and they celebrate. And we see that in Exodus 15. And then now, here we are, just three days later. Just three days later on their trip, after the most amazing historical victory of their lifetime. Well, what are we going to drink? I mean, really? Right? It's, it's like, what in the world? God in his mercy and his kindness has done the most amazing thing. And these people are concerned about some bitter water. And they don't trust that the Lord, the one who has power over the waters to part them, cannot give them drinkable water. Let's keep going. Look at the first part of verse 25. And he cried to the Lord, that's Moses, and the, and the Lord showed him a log and he threw it into the water and the water became sweet. God heard the complaint and in his grace and in his kindness, he did not condemn them. He gave them sweet water. He's doing that because he loves his children, even though they complain. But he's also doing something else. It's not just about the sweet water to drink. He's teaching them a lesson. Look at this, continuing in verse 25. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule. You know, as parents, 
When your kids complain about something, kids, you're in the worship service today. You guys never complain about anything, do you? No. Okay. Just wanted to, just wanted to clarify. My six and five-year-old are sitting right there as well, right? Just wanted to clarify, okay? No complaining. We know you all don't do that, but let's just say if you did, all right, kids, if you did complain to your parents, right? You know, parents, that's a great opportunity to not completely lose your cool, right? That's a great opportunity to teach a lesson. And that's what God's doing. He's teaching his children a valuable lesson here. Look at this. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. That's a powerful statement. That's an encouraging statement from God himself to his children. He's saying, listen, guys, if you, if you listen to my word and you follow my words and you live your lives in obedience to me, then my blessings will come upon you in all these wonderful spiritual ways. So this brings us to our first point we can learn from this first episode. Instead of complaining, you know what we got to do? We got to take a lesson from Israel right there. Instead of complaining, let's listen to and apply God's word to our situation. Instead of looking at what happens in front of us and saying, I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe that I've got to go through this. I can't believe this roadblock is in my plans. Instead of just voicing all that criticism, instead listen to God's word. What does God's word say about these kinds of situations that you're facing? Think about what they are actually complaining about. The Israelites are complaining primarily about timing and quality. They've gone three days without water, so they don't think that God is on their time schedule, right? And to be fair, that's a long time. But they shouldn't be complaining to the one they know can part a sea. That they should trust. They should trust that he could give them the water they need. But they're also complaining about the quality. It's bitter. But God provides for them in that moment. And you know what else? All they had to do, all they had to do to follow the, was to follow the Lord a little bit farther and look at what he was leading them to. This is crazy. Look at verse 27. So they complain three days into their trip about the bad water, but look at what the Lord was leading them to. A little bit down the road, then they came to Elim, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. They thought God had given up to them, and he was actually leading them to a five-star resort. <laughs> I mean, where's the patience? Where's the faith? Where's the trust? Here's the thing. When we are tempted ourselves to believe that the timing in our lives is just not right. Lord, I need this blessing now. Lord, I need you to come through and do this for me now. When we're tempted to believe that the timing's not right or that the quality of our circumstances should be so much better and we deserve so much more, what should we do when we're tempted to voice those complaints? Exactly what the Lord commanded his people to do there in the wilderness. What? Listen to God's word. 
Read the Bible. Open up your copy of God's Word in your Bible and let the Scriptures, let God through the Holy Spirit speak to you. Listen to God through His Word. And then pray and ask the Lord to apply that truth to your specific circumstance. James chapter 1 verse 22 tells us, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Right? We, we can listen to God's word. We can listen to a sermon once a week. We can listen to a podcast of our favorite preacher. We can even do a Bible study. But if we're only listening and we're not taking the time to meditate on the truth of what we're reading and what we're digesting, if we're not willing to pause and be still before the Lord and pray and ask Him to apply what we're reading to our specific circumstances, then we're really not doing much good, are we? James says, be doers of the word, not just hearers. In fact, look at verse 25 of James chapter 1. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. When life doesn't go the way you think it should go, you can't just sit and sulk and throw yourself a pity party. Nobody likes a grumbler. We must shift our focus from the problem to the provider. And the way we do that is so, so practical. Just this week, I was reading in Second Chronicles and, and just through a little reading plan that I'm doing very slowly. And I, I read about uh, King Uzziah and, and how he had just struggled with pride and that pride was his downfall. And it reminds me of my own life and how I have to keep my heart and check and pray and confess to the Lord. Lord, I don't want to be like him. I don't want to end up like Uzziah. I don't, want to, I don't want to end up in this way where I'm so, I think so highly of myself that I overlook others' needs. And I, we have to think about what we're reading in the Scriptures and say, Lord, I'm struggling with this or I have this circumstance in front of me. Please, God, would you teach me to be obedient in all these ways and to do what is right in your eyes just as the Lord told the Israelites. See, your current moment of life may taste bitter to you. You may be tired of waiting, tired of not seeing the outcome you want to see, but that's just sulking in the problem. Are you pressing into God's word, the source of life and wisdom? So stop complaining and let the Lord teach you to apply his word to your situation. All right, let's go to the next episode. The people leave that place and come to a different wilderness area. All right, so look at Exodus 16, verses 2 and 3. Exodus 16, verses 2 and 3. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled. There's that word again. They're grumbling again. They're grumblers. Grumbling against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Right? I'm starving to death is what they're saying. My goodness, we had meat and we had bread. But think about this. The grumble bug has, has struck again, right? 
It's like those Snickers commercials. You know what I'm saying? You're just not yourself when you're hungry, Mike. Like, come on. You know, like Israelites, you're just not yourselves when you're hungry, except they are themselves, right? They all have the grumble bug. So the people are confronted, confronted with this other crisis. But hey, as the NIV, my NIV study Bible pointed out, they did have lots of animals with them that they could have eaten, right? They brought herds and herds of animals with them out of Egypt. So I guess they just wanted a different menu, right? We're tired of this menu, okay? We want something different, right? So what are they complaining about here though? Well, quality, I guess, to an extent, but also quantity, right? Remember in Egypt, they say, when we were slaves, how great our lives were, right? We had so much meat and bread to the full. What, have they lost their minds? Right? They've gone crazy. They're saying, hey, remember we had all this food? I mean, we were slaves, but we had a lot of food. Who in the world would say something like that? But see, that's what complaining does, right? It kind of plays games with you. It makes you think that maybe your past life of sin was better. Maybe before you met Jesus, that life you were living, oh, that was so much better. I had all this stuff. When I met Jesus, I had to start living sacrificially. I started had to, having to be more generous with my time and my resources. See, that's what complaining does. It makes us get discontent with our current life and nostalgic for a past one that we think is better, but truly was not. We falsely begin to think that our past life without Christ was better. We begin to think that the world, our Egypt, so to speak, could give us more. The more is what we need. But how does the Lord respond to this complaining here? What does he do? Guess what? He's extremely patient. He's extremely gracious and amazingly generous. Look at this, 16 verse four. Then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Skip down to verses 11 through 15, continuing on. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. And the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew, and, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? It's like my kids, what is this? We've never seen this before. For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. These people don't know what's good for them. They just know that they're hungry and they can't wait. Verse 22, on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So God's giving them quail and he's giving them bread, right? So he's giving them meat and bread. Remember they had complained and said, well, when we were in Egypt, we had lots of meat and lots of bread. God's like, well, I'm going to give you meat and bread and here it is. And it's going to be the right amount. 
Just what you need. So they laid it aside. They laid it aside till the morning. Verse 24. As Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it. But on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. What is the Lord teaching them? What is he teaching them? Gather the food for six days, and then on the sixth one, I'm going to give you enough for two days, and you're going to rest on the seventh. What is he teaching them? Exodus 16, look at verses 27 through 30. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. God is teaching his people that he will provide. And he continued to provide. Verse 35 35 tells us for 40 years. 40 years till they finally came to a, a habitable land. So this brings up the second point we see in this second episode is this. Instead of complaining, rest in God's daily provision. So instead of complaining, listen to God's word, apply it to your life, take time to read the Bible and get into it and pray to the Lord about your specific situation. But as you're doing that, you know what that's going to do? It's going to prompt you to rest in his provision day by day. Again, the people were not satisfied with what they had or did not have. They wanted more. They wanted the meat and the bread they had in their past world. But once again, the Lord is teaching them and he teaches us how he provides. What is is he teaching us? What is he teaching them through this? God's, God's provision It prompts us to depend on him daily. It's a daily dependence of his grace that God wants us to have. He's giving them what they need. He's giving them that food when they need it. And they do eat until they're full. But notice, this was a hard lesson for some of them. Back in verse 27, some of them went out on the day they were not supposed to be out, right? They were supposed to be resting on the Sabbath. Some of them went out and thought, well, I can find some bread and meat. Y'all don't know how good of a hunter I am, right? I'm going to find some bread and some meat. Y'all just watch. I'm going to have more. I know God told us to calm down and rest and trust him, but no, I want more. And so some of them went out and they didn't find a thing. They just couldn't relinquish control. They couldn't slow down and rest in God's daily provision. Maybe that's your problem. Maybe you're like the Israelites in this first episode. You don't want to do what it takes to move forward and obey the Lord's commands. And so you ignore his word. But maybe you're like the Israelites in this second episode. And you know what you're doing? You're doing too much. You see the difference? In the first one, they didn't do enough. They didn't go far enough to the wonderful blessing God had before them. But in this one, they're doing too much. They can't rest 
in his provision. They feel like they must take control of their lives and reach for more because they think that more will make them happy, that something out there in the world will give them the satisfaction they need that somehow I guess God can't provide. Boy, do we struggle with that. That's exactly what our daily struggles are to the point where maybe you are relying on your own efforts and your own shaping of your life and attaining more that you don't even know how to slow down and rest anymore. You don't know how to enjoy the resources and the things that God's given you because you're always working for more. You see, both episodes express a lack of faith. One, they didn't go far enough. Two, they went too far. And what about you? Are you a workaholic? That's a real thing here in America. Maybe you need to slow down, seriously. Maybe you need to stop being a slave to your calendar or a slave to your finances and the demands of working for more. Maybe you need to spend more time with your family. Maybe you need to spend more time in God's word. Can we learn to rest? It's a control issue. It's a control issue. It's saying, hey God, uh, you know, I'm totally cool with you being in the passenger seat with me. I mean, I need you to be here with me. I need that appearance to the rest of the world that I'm a good Christian. And I want that self-assurance, you know, that I'm walking with the Lord. But let me keep my hand on the steering wheel. Let me set the course. The Lord was teaching his people that they need to have a consistent weekly rhythm of rest in their lives and depend on his daily provision instead of depending on themselves for the life they think they need. You know, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. You know what he says? Give us this day our what? Daily bread. Not our monthly need, not our annual need. Lord, on this day, would you give me what I need today? Lastly, let's go to the third episode we see in chapter 17, verses 3 and 4. But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled. There it is again. The grumble bug strikes again, kids. There he is, right? The people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us? Oh, now they're getting a little exaggerative here, right? To kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst. So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And I don't know that he was joking there, right? I mean, I think he really thought these people are seriously about to kill me, right? It's another crisis. This time, look what the complaining led to, though. Arguing. Anger. Possibly the brink of a riot. You see, here's the thing, guys. When, when we disagree with God, when we disagree with God, you know what that leads to? It's going to lead to disagreement with others. When we are discontent with the life that God has given us, 
You are going to be more quick to disagree with your spouse. You're going to be more quick to disagree with your children. You're going to be more quick to disagree with your boss or your coworker or whoever it is, your classmate at school, right? It's going to prompt us to just have this feeling that things aren't the way they should be. And so we get defensive, we get quick tempered, and we start voicing those complaints, not just directed at God, but directed at the people we love. And that's exactly what's happening here. The people, I think they loved Moses. They're just, they're just not in the right frame of mind. Discontentment has overwhelmed their hearts. But look again at what? God's grace. Exodus 17, verses 5 and 6. Look at this. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Strike the rock and the blessings of water will come to the people who are thirsty. God tells Moses to strike the rock. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. Do you know what the Apostle Paul said about this? Many years later, he said, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. What? The Red Sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food. And Paul's about to teach them the lesson that we need to know that God was pointing the Israelites thousands of years ago towards and saying that someone must be struck. Look at this. And all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Did you see what this amazing historical account is pointing us actually to? The true provider of all of our needs. The true healer. The true sustainer of all things to the one who went through another wilderness and accomplished what we could not. And that brings us to the third and final point we see in this third episode. Instead of complaining, let's stand on the rock of our salvation. Let's stand firm with a steady faith. Let's jump off the emotional roller coaster that complaining keeps us on. Let's jump off. Let's say, I'm tired of riding that merry-go-round. I want to get off. I want solid footing in my life. I want a steady faith. Not a perfect faith. We'll never have that. But a steady faith that can look at any circumstance face on and say, it's not about my capability. It's not about the quantity or the timing or the quality. It is about the rock that I'm standing on and he is leading me. 
When the times are uncertain and your faith is unsteady, cry out to the psalmist who said, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Jesus is the rock that we must stand on in this journey of life. He did what we could not do in another wilderness many years, be- many years later after the Israelites failed in the wilderness. Look how Jesus succeeded in their place. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, then this is amazing. And I wish I had time to preach another sermon. Don't worry, I'm not. (laughs) But this is amazing because you know what? After God led his people through the waters of the Red Sea, he brought them to a wilderness where they complained. But after in Matthew 3, where God led Jesus to the waters of the Jordan River to be baptized, he then led him into a wilderness where he succeeded and did what Israel could not do. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. They went three days without water. He went 40 without food. He was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, that's Satan himself, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus himself was relying on the word and the truth of God. In that moment, he is relying on what is true instead of what could be. We love to play the what if game. Satan says, if you are the son of God, feed yourself. And he looks at you in your life and whatever situation you're in and he says, well, if you're a child of God, God should give you more. If you're a child of God, wouldn't he bless you and give you what you want when you need it? But Jesus says, no, the word of God and his daily provision is enough for me. Jesus did what Israel failed to do. He has done what we cannot do. He has proven that he has the key to a life of gratitude, a life of satisfaction, a life of fulfillment. It's him. He is the key. It's being known by him. It's finding rest in his love and his grace for you. In John 6, Riley read this for us earlier during worship. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And then in verse 51, he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Jesus is speaking to the episode we just read. God rained bread down from heaven to feed his people. But look at this. He says, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Every thirst and every hunger that you experience, every wilderness that you walk into, they all are opportunities to demonstrate a steady faith, to express to God through a worshipful lifestyle your daily dependence. Could it be Could it be that our holy, sovereign God leads us into wildernesses? Not because he's cruel, but because he loves his children and he wants to provide for us and show us how he provides 
and teach us through those challenges. I'm with you. I'm generous. I'm gracious. And I want to bless you. I just want you to express your dependence. I want you to express your faith. Could it be that that's what the Lord is doing in your life right now? You have a hunger and a thirst for something else in this world, for something more. But Jesus tells us that we are blessed if our hunger and our thirst is for his righteousness. Because that is what will satisfy us. The world has plenty to eat. The world has plenty to drink out there that will promise some better life if you only had more of it. Jesus says, follow me. Follow me and eat this bread. You will never hunger again. The rock, the rock that we stand on is Christ himself. Christ, the solid rock, was struck. And the blessings of salvation flowed out of him and his blood like water into our souls. And if you turn from your sin and you trust Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, you will never thirst again. The water that comes from this rock is the water of eternal life. Are you drinking that water today? Would you bow your heads with me? Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that you put yourself on the cross in our place, that you were struck by the staff of God, the judgment and wrath of God the Father struck you and you took our penalty on yourself so that we could drink from the everlasting life, the water that gives life, Lord. So God, forgive us for our hungers and our thirst for this world that do not satisfy. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for when we complain about our circumstances and we fail to realize that it's you that have brought us where we are. And if you've brought us this far, you won't leave us hanging, Jesus. You have the spiritual blessings, everything we need to give us. And you want to give us the peace, the assurance, the fulfillment, the satisfaction, the joy that only your water can give. So Lord, have mercy on us. Jesus, have mercy on us. We are sinners. We hunger and thirst and complain about all the wrong things. Lord, would you give us satisfaction and you show us and teach us how the gospel gives us everything we need in every moment of life and that true joy is found. True thirst is quenched and hunger is satisfied. Jesus, in you, our solid rock, let us have a steady faith with hearts of gratitude. Would you bless us in this way, Lord Jesus, our solid rock. It's in your name we pray. Amen.